0: Hello everyone and welcome to the first Wednesday Night Live of the month of December. I'm Pastor Ron Crawford coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas. And as I always say, it's such a blessing to be able to reach out to my own congregation, those who are part of this fellowship here in Dallas, or you may not be in Dallas, but you're part of us anyway, you know what I mean as well as to our Saints Network family. Uh, It's hard to imagine that we're here in December. This has been a fruitful, amazing year of so many breakthroughs, so many measures of grace, where we've stepped forward in grace. Isn't that what God said to us last year about this time, going into the new year, be a year of breakthrough? And my, oh my, look at on every front the breakthroughs that have happened. And um, even personally, some of you are like the chicken in the egg. Your your uh, identity for the new day that God's birthing you into, you're, you're knowing that it's there, but yet you still have to move about and you have to break through that shell to emerge. Nobody can do it for you. If somebody did it for you, you would die. And so um, this has been a year of breakthrough. What's coming in this next year is a year of fruitfulness. And uh, we, we really need the strategies of the Lord to be able to walk in lockstep with Him. And He is willing to grant that. So today, we're going to follow up on something that I was privileged to share this past Sunday. But before we do, I wanted to give a public service announcement. Um, Tonight, today, is the first Wednesday of the month. And as I prayed, initially I thought we would have a prayer meeting tonight at the church on site. But as I prayed about it, I recognized that perhaps that was not exactly what the Lord wanted from us. Now, doesn't he always want prayer? Of course he does. You should be praying every day. In fact, for those of you who are pining away for a group prayer meeting, we had one of those four days ago, five days ago on Saturday. We had church on Sunday, had a board meeting on Monday night, and guess what? We prayed in the sanctuary for an hour or over an hour. So it's not that we've abandoned prayer. In fact, uh, the board and I came into agreement for something that I've never asked them to do in all my years being here. And I sure know it didn't happen when the last administration would every now and then have a board meeting every day through this month our board is praying for each other so we believe in prayer i had a prayer meeting with uh, some of the brazilian pastors uh, yesterday morning it was spirited so just because on this in the midst of this busy holiday month we're not saying okay we're coming tonight doesn't mean that we've abandoned the lord Or abandon prayer. You should be praying every day. And we are having a multitude of um, other prayer times. And so, I just wanted to clarify that. Now, at the end of the month, which is just a few weeks away, we're going to be having concerted efforts, both here at the Father's Church and amongst our saints network in the U.S., in Europe, in in Brazil we're going to include them and and in uh, in amongst the africans and even amongst India we got a ruby forwarded me something from Ratna Kumar he had a a meeting with the saints network pastors this past monday and i saw the po- photos and recognized a number of those men why aren't we going over there well why don't you go and protest out front of the indian embassy They don't like giving visas to pastors anymore. We had a trip with I don't know how many people scheduled a number of years ago, and they just, for whatever reason, in their ideologies, would not give visas to anybody that, particularly from here, who had been there a number of times who were preaching, they weren't giving entry visas. But it was good to see Ratna and all those folks. So we haven't abandoned India. And we trust the seed sown there is being utilized. But we will be having, pardon me, a concerted effort at the end of this month, just a couple of weeks away, just entering into the new year calendrically in prayer. And, you know, fruitfulness, we've known this, and it has nothing to do with when Israel celebrates their holidays. So don't give me that. We know that where we are in the beginning of the spiritual new year has actually begun. The fruitfulness we talk about for this new year, we've already seen it in spades in Brazil. And so we're already in the midst of it, but yet we live here. And we go off the Julian calendar. So we apply the principles of the Lord where we are. And that's a biblical principle. You don't want to be legalistic. I have an edge this morning, don't I? I've had three cups of coffee already. I've been up praying since four. (laughs) Maybe that's why I'm edgy. At 4 o'clock hour, and this 66-year-old guy is saying, "Ah, you should have got a little more shut-eye. So, anyway, just for those of you who maybe, it's funny how as a pastor, you can do something in the past, and you can announce it. And people will or won't come. But then when you don't announce something, and there isn't something going on, often people will be inspired to think there is something going on. And it's, it's just the pastoral prism. I mean, it's just that way. So just for clarity, pray for the rest of the day, just you. But there won't be an organized prayer time here tonight on this first Wednesday of December but be ready because we're going to have a lot of this that week following Christmas going into the new year leading into first Saturday in January and so be ready but be in prayer and again it's not that we've abandoned prayer like I said we had first Saturday wonderful time Saturday morning and into the day praying with our Saints Network family Sunday we had church people were praying Monday night the board of all things were on their faces it reminds me what Ray Hughes said one of the things he's looking forward to going to heaven to see is elders on their face before God well we saw it here on Monday night I prayed with the Brazilians on Tuesday morning spirited time of prayer Monica and I before Saints Radio we pray normally Stacy Maggs joins us she was obviously busy but um, we were here praying so we do believe in prayer but we won't have an organized time tonight so I've said that four different ways and I certainly hope that every one of my little darlings heard that and don't come tonight and think I failed them (laughs) that happens too Oh, man, the joys of being a pastor. Some people who lament, Oh, I wish I was a pastor. I don't have a pulpit. You don't know what you're talking about. It's a great privilege, but it is... Ay, ay, ay. It, it can be fun. Somebody said when I was in seminary, the ministry would be great as long as you didn't have to work with people. <laughs> That's always stuck with me because it's just funny. And I love my congregation. But it's just always funny to to think what do people hear? What don't they hear? What do they pay attention to? What aren't they paying attention to? What's important to them? What's not important to them? They may be smiling, but their mind is a million miles away. All right. Sunday we spoke about how the angels praise. Interesting message if you haven't heard it yet. it's available in archives. Very grateful to Scott for managing those postings for us. <clears throat> well, we talked about the word that is translated as praise, how the heavenly host praised, and it's Aineo. And that that speaks in a very detailed manner, it's motivational it's uplifting, it's persuasive just because, not because of emotion, because angels don't move in emotion. They don't. Emotion is a unique human trait. Angels obey and they become enthused by the victory of God. But it's not emotion. You know, there's a There's a fine line between celebration and emotion. Sometimes people confuse, usually people confuse that. Emotion is factored by a number of various influences. Am I sad? Did I get enough sleep? Are things going well for me? Do I have what I think I want? Oh, I just don't feel right today. Oh, I feel great today. Emotions are all over the map, and we should submit them to God. Celebration is a number of things, but many times it involves emotion, but at the root, it is the assessment that something has worked, that something has been achieved, that a plan has been laid out and consummated, and for the angels, They're all about the message from the Father. They're all about obedience to that message. They love the unveiling of the plan. And when it comes together, they speak about how glorious the plan came together. And they give homage to the one who the almighty, the precious God, envisioned the plan and put it into motion and oversaw it through and through. So, this is angelic celebration. And it is in a detailed manner, I'm just giving the meaning of the word, speaking of something positively. We need to be more like that. Because, Sometimes the plan of God conflicts with our emotions. What do you mean by that, Pastor? What do you mean by that, Willis? <sighs> Sometimes I know I'm working on exactly what God wants. My emotions aren't real happy about it. His emotions are fickle. One day, it just... that. In our most recent mission trip, we had one amazing thing happen. Just miraculous. Everybody was celebrating. It was one of those, if if I know anything, moments. And um, just a couple hours later, I was exhausted. I had finally got back to my room. So it was nigh on to one o'clock in the morning. I I knew I had a big day ahead and everybody on this trip had their own song and dance to to nobody knows the trouble they've seen but it's me talking here and I thought dear god I just am so tired I was rejoicing in the lord but yet I was tired and I thought I really I'm excited about several things that are coming tomorrow, but one of them is just going to be a beat down for me because I'm going to have to do the meet and greet and be all things to all men and women. And, you know, that drains you. And it does very little other than an obligatory meet and greet. And then my emotions kicked in. Can I skip that? No, there's no way I could skip that. That would be insulting. So your emotions start conflicting right after a high point in the middle of a major thing, and you can start going over to negativity. Because, see, your emotions will usually incline themselves. Just hear me. Now, if you're just a champion, and you just are so devoted to God, then your emotions are pure and pristine. Most people's aren't. So I'm not talking to you ones that are just so perfect. But emotions will usually resonate off of your basest instinct. In other words, whatever's crying out most in your body is going to trigger your emotion. You've got to reel your emotions in and put them under control. Some people don't know how to do that. They fly off the handle. They disappear. They buck down. And one of the things I learned in ministry, and I don't know how well I learned it, is to recognize those things are going to happen and do your best not to let anybody know they're happening. Now, I know psychologists would say, oh, you shouldn't shut it in. You should let it all out. Well, any pastor that lets it all out is going to have about a two-year tenure. Maybe less. Because people are watching you. And even when you're trying to do everything right and put on the best face forward, still people are going to find fault with you. So you've, you've got to learn how to deal with that too. So emotions are, are good if you channel them properly. You discipline them. You harness them. What we really should be doing is finding our delight in the Lord and celebrating the joy of the Lord is the fulfillment of His will. And that's angelic. Murmuring is when emotions grab the wheel and then iniquity becomes the fuel and bitterness is the is the swath that is uh, left upon the landscape of your life. Emotions will start letting you view everything in a negative way and it's never your fault and it's never a situation where patience should be governing. It's always, how did this happen? How did you do this God? How did these people not see how wonderful I am. How did you cause this circumstance that I'm supposed to overcome? Why am I here? And then everything is viewed through that smudge, that mud on your lens. And murmuring then creates a false set of details. And instead of there being a celebration and a dedication and an esprit de corps, there's negativity, there is a skewed viewpoint. There is rejection of the ways of God. and then nobody misery loves misery loves company. Nobody wants to go down that path alone, so they'll defile many. and murmuring destroys in the wilderness. It doesn't say murmuring destroyed the in, in the desert. Because in the desert, you're just fighting to survive. There's a difference between the desert and the wilderness. Remember that. In the desert, you know you need a miracle. And even though it's not pleasant, you're really trying to muster up every measure of faith you have. In the wilderness, you still have some strength left. And you, you can question why we're in this wilderness. It's not a matter of survival, it's a matter of getting out. And so you target even you don't have a good idea. Your good idea ideas Israel was. Let's go back to slavery. Let's go back to the to the whip. Hey, we just like that garlic and leeks. Man, that was good stuff. Made us smell repulsively, but we loved it. So in the wilderness you you really have to you have to guard over what you do and how you stick to the plan of God or not only will you defile yourself you'll defile others you create a negative atmosphere and that will stick out and the destroyer will get you God said something that's often misunderstood that he was going to destroy murmuring by Aaron's rod budding among the other rods of the tribal leaders. Remember that story? It budded almond leaves. And that really signified the first beginnings of the time of fruitfulness. It spoke about timing. And only the leader would have that. And what is the time frame when the first buds come? Well, all they've known is the winter. All they've known is the storm. All they've known is the valley. All they've known is emptiness, which is pretty good soil if you want to get a good crop of murmuring going. So how was Aaron's rod going to break that and bring everybody into alignment? They all had authority. That's what their rods represented. They all had a constituency, but they all had to lay themselves down waiting for God to signify to his appointed leader where they were going. It's the plan. It's the partnership with the angelic that was going ahead of them. At least that's what God said. And it was the timing of the Lord. And it was a celebration of seeing God work that out. And, um, but sadly, uh, it's, it's a difficult thing to get people to really submit to that. So back to point, the angels are praising God. They're not singing Handel's Messiah. They're not even um, warming up that great song that Mary sang, the Magnificat. Um, They're not singing. They're declaring, each of them, in their points of authority, in the various... uh, delineations of the angelic hierarchy they're they're speaking these things all at the same time and only angels can do that without it sounding confusing and that's the heart of the seven spirits of god they can all be individual separate but one and they f- form together to make white light the, the the truth of god see that's a divine thing um And really when you think about the seven spirits that are spoken of by God, and it's not just out of that Isaiah passage. That Isaiah passage speaks about totally about wisdom and revelation. Just look at it. But sometimes when you just look at it, the spirit of judgment and burning on the surface looks totally different than the spirit of um, grace. The spirit of judgment and burning looks totally different than what truth and sonship is supposed to be doing. Just look at it. So only God can keep the focus of all of those things in his ways coming together to form the white light. And said, how do you get that, Pastor? Well, again, this is an old teaching. The, God's covenant for the earth, the seven factors of the rainbow they're all on the same continuum of, of uh, light and sound and science will tell you that when all seven of those depictions of light come together they form the brilliant white light. So that's how God can be one but also have seven spirits. So what's the difference between the seven spirits and the Trinity? Well, the Trinity is not the seven Spirits. Yes, the Trinity is God. The seven Spirits are God. Don't confuse me. I'm not talking about lots of little Yahwehs running around. The Trinity is how God reveals himself to mankind so that we can understand how we are to relate to God as sons, as heirs, as joint heirs. God is spirit. He sent His Son to redeem us to Him through sacrifice and example. We are to be sons. We are to be joint heirs with Christ. In fact, Christians are supposed to be Christ-like. Christ is the anointed Son. And the Father, with all respects to you, gender fluidity group, is masculine so that indicates as it does in so many of the languages that are out there um, masculine indicates a going forward in a stability not to say that the feminine is not stable but the the feminine welcomes the masculine is going forward and they come together to form life You've, you've got to learn how to manage that um Boy, I've taken off on a lot of trails here, but but the point is is that the angels celebrate the ways of God and the plan of God coming together, and that's what they're declaring here. So this aineo is uh, is a very important word. We looked at some of the derivatives of it on Sunday, but um, we want to focus on. 1 Corinthians 13, particularly verse 12, but I I can just assure you right now we're going to roam back and forth a little bit. And this is good for us to know. It's good for us to meditate on the Scripture. So we don't have a teaching outline. There's an outline from Sunday. You can avail yourself of that. And you have a Bible program. So go to 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. Five factors. There's a fivefold expression here, and this expression is one that, um, this expression is one that, um, uh, really speaks about how we're to move in the agape, how tongues and prophecy are supposed to be utilized and functional within the church. And to me, this verse indicates how God wants us to move apostolically. But it's set in this very large context within this three or four chapter exposition. Um, and if we understand this verse, then we understand what all Paul's talking about everywhere else. So, now, I said this is a five-fold thing and as soon as I attribute this office to this thing some of you will say well why shouldn't it be over there the age old discussion is fivefold. thought um, in fact I looked at it yesterday and I looked at it this morning and I looked at it just now and I see I've, I've, I've even seen some variations in my own perceptions it doesn't make them wrong it's just that This is, is, as long as we see the five, we understand what each of the five mean. Just know that the the mind of Christ is working through it. So what does, what is this word that we focused on? What does it mean in this passage? And, And it's translated as enigma and it's darkly. See through a glass, darkly. When we first were going out internationally in ministry, we had a team that went to Greece, and then the big team met in London, and then from there we went to Uganda. My big team, 40 people. And one of the things that we did in our activations around London was we went out to Bletchley Park to take a tour of the place that broke the Enigma machine code or just broke the the, the function of the Enigma machine. There was a movie made by, about this U571. There was another one made about the people that worked there, and it was really, it was it was a fascinating historical movie. But the one of the main um, tacticians was a homosexual man, and of course Hollywood made that the theme of the whole show. But the Germans built this little machine that um, was distributed to their troops and submarines ships and the Germans could send messages out but they would be not only coded but almost unbreakable but when it got to the Enigma machine then the person with that machine could decipher the message and one of the big breakthroughs for the Allies was when uh, that code machine, the Enigma, was deciphered, how it worked, and then they could capture the messages. I don't know how long it was before Germany recognized that that machine was no longer reliable. The United States did a similar thing with the Japanese codes, and um, the key to warfare, especially in World War II, and still is, is being able to deduce strategies, tactics to take many different factors and keep your focus on what you're supposed to do and get a message from it. Um, that's why the Germans, with their prophetic gifting, called this machine the enigma. But it's just directly this word that's in the Bible translated as darkly. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Little did we know that when we went to Bletchley Park that one of the things that we were asking God for was the continued uh, measure of His Spirit to help us to interpret and to help us to be able to deduce His ways but also to be able to see clearly through the strategies of the enemy. There's still war Knowing those codes didn't guarantee a victory, but you at least had clarity, I mean clarity of thought as to what was going on, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. I think that's great. And this word, enigma, in our nomenclature is... Best understood as what it meant in the Greek, and, and that would be that there's so many things that God is wanting to do that He is doing, there's so many factors to them, but one thing is constant if you know God and you trust Him and you're in communication with Him, even though you don't understand everything, you can have clarity number one as to what. His general direction is and that you are listening for detailed messages every day. Sometimes you get a big one. Sometimes days go by and you you aren't hearing anything new. But the overall agenda is clear to you so you stick with it. And um, that's the beauty of this. And I think that the darkly part, enigma, you know, I waffled between it because you you want to get that word from God. Well, isn't that apostolic? But really, really, it has to fall in the category for the teacher or the pneumatic person, the seer that is continually listening, hearing, and um, is deciphering what God, God is saying, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Keeping your focus on what the facts of the Lord are. Weighing it, judging it based upon the scripture and by by what God has shown you. That's a pneumatocos person. That's a teacher. Now, not all teachers are pneumonicos. We don't have time to go through that, but sometimes teachers are just good, intelligent people but they're so stuck on, in themselves that the, the idea of anything new is almost like chewing ball bearings. They just won't allow themselves to do it. And, but the true person who is moving in the anointing of the teacher, the pneumatikos person, does it. Does pneumatics person have to have a teacher primary calling well it helps but there's there's some pneumatics people that are more prophetically oriented so what is the prophet in you know Paul talks about the prophet over and over and over again in these chapters you know he says just after this right after this verse he says now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is, is agape, not a more, agape. And then it says, "When I was a child, I spoke as a child; I put away childish things. When, when I became a man, when perfect comes." So it's about progression. He speaks about Paul speaks about how the tongues should operate in the church, and you should be interpreting. But then he talks about prophecy. What is prophecy? Prophecy, if you look, I looked at seven different lexicons today and just read the stuff. I just wanted to sharpen my sword a little bit. So many of them began by saying it's a foretelling. One of them had the wisdom to say, prophecy is not primarily foretelling. Prophecy is knowing what God has revealed, what God is currently saying based upon what he's been revealing and proclaiming that in a way that would indicate progression or indicate an an affirming of where you are. So prophecy in the Greek language had more to do with stating and representing what God had been revealing and making sense of where we are in that process of revelation then it has to do with yay my people in five years you're going to meet somebody and it's going to be your spouse and you know that that'll excite a crowd but it also can create a lot of confusion. Prophets can foretell, but the beauty of Samuel was that he was speaking about, hey, what's God said? What does he want you to know? What, What does what he want you to know indicate where we are right now? What about the place where he's planted you? What's significant about Jericho, spiritually? What's significant about Bethel, spiritually? What's significant about Ramah and the nearby Ebenezer? What's significant about that? So Samuel's prophecy in ordaining kings and identifying those that should serve in David's tabernacle, making sure that they were seers, Samuel was more of a of a teacher base and that's why he established those schools but he was a great prophet do you see that Isaiah what what was Isaiah doing he was meeting with God what was Isaiah doing He was trying to instruct the kings to Sha'al and be what they were supposed to be. Yeah, he started speaking in a foretelling way, but it was based upon the the words in the scripture that God had said about the coming of the Messiah. Um, And that's very helpful. Very, very helpful. But the essence of prophecy was being able to proclaim not just things that people how do you know that? The prophet is really saying, how don't you know this? (laughs) Here's what God said. This is where we are. This is what he's saying right now on the basis of that. And this is what we must do. And when we're positioned in that Peretz of understanding, then the breakthrough Peretz words will come. But if you aren't established in what God has already said, how in the world can he trust you with a foretelling for what he's saying for the days to come? Does that make sense? So, prophecy, like when it says prophecy is for the church, why is that? Because the church needs to remember what God said and position themselves to partner with him now and to go forward. What happens when an unbeliever comes in? The prophets identify that person's crypto-identity within, that's what the scripture says, the secrets of their heart, and that then is indicated as uh, to who you're supposed to be and why aren't you doing it. That's why prophecy, uh, first of all, speaks of the oikodome, um, to edify, exhort, comfort. What are you supposed to be doing? Who are you? A lot of people want a prophet to tell them some an alternative to what they know they are. They just don't like where they are. They like what everybody else wants. Prophesy to me. And I believe in prophecy. I'm not diminishing that. I'm just trying to clear up wacky concepts that people have when they want a prophetic word. So oikodome is what, is, what did God create me to be? And the, way, the best way to find that is to just get before him and just start being. Study the word, spend time with God, and look at what's in you. And then just cherish that. Don't go off on the exit ramp of bitterness. Why doesn't everybody else see this in me? You just see it for yourself. God sees in secret. It's what Jesus said. Be that. Exhort. You uh, get with it. Parakaleo. Find your place. Serve. Comfort. Paramethea. You are created before God to do exploits. The miracle of your life. Partner with God in it. The mythos of what you are supposed to be. Trust that God's going to do that in you. And don't let the enemy tell you you're a failure or that somehow you're missing it or everybody else is missing it. Just be that before the Lord. That's prophecy. That's what the Scripture says prophecy is. So it's a sign for the church. And when God says through Paul, you know, you... uh, Speak in other tongues. I'm thankful I speak more than any of you. Don't forbid it. Make sure you're interpreting as you're speaking in tongues. That's important. But I would rather prophesy in the church. Why? Because if you're just speaking in tongues and gaining interpretation and you have no clear directive as to what is God really doing here, And are we confident in that? And based upon this identity and what he's revealed, we remember that and we go forth through it. That's why the prophets and the teachers came together to launch the first human apostolic ministry. And that was Paul. And remember that in Antioch. So, prophecy is important, but it really does speak about us getting a bearing on what we're supposed to do. Now, prophecies will fail. Why is that? Why are they done away with? You should do a study. It wouldn't take you long. Of uh, catargeo to the, done, the doing away. There's several. There's a handful of those instances in. 1 Corinthians alone. It just means that, um, you know, when I was a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Got our jail. Those had importance to me twenty years ago. They don't anymore. Oh, they're cherished. But now I am focusing on where I am now. So prophecy is for. A point of clarity. It's a point of um, assessment, and it's a it's a it's an issue of sending the finger of direction, but based upon the people knowing who they are, where they are, what they are, why they are, and when they are. Well, if you don't have that, all the prophecy in the world is not going to do you any good. You can prophesy to a pinhead. If they're not functioning before the Lord, what good is that prophecy going to do them? And for those of you, you shouldn't call people pinheads. Well, I'm, I'm, a pinhead is a needle. How many angels dance on the top of that? Okay, so we see through a glass... Now, again, I really think that the teacher is darkly, but this is all interchangeable, as long as you know the five. Uh, The prophet is a know in part, because just a few verses earlier it says, we know in part, we prophesy in part, and that really was the combination of the prophet assessing where they are, uh, assessing where the people are, And assessing what God would say in affirmation, in declaration, in exhortation, and maybe even in direction. But it's in part, it's for then, and you go forward. I think the evangelist fits with we see through a glass. Because the evangelist is grace remedy and function, dunamis, miracles, dunamis, function. And when you really assess where you are in conjunction with what God is trying to reveal to you, you will recognize that you need to keep moving forward in grace and you need to be functioning. Live as long as you're alive. Get busy living, get busy dying. One or the other. And the evangelist breaks through for the apostolic. Now, why isn't darkly apostolic? Because I think the apostle is more face-to-face. You don't get an apostolic mandate just because you studied or because you got the spirit in you. That's a term right now. It's like back in the 80s, everybody was a general. Now it seems like everybody's an apostle. But a true apostle is sent by God to partner with him in something that he's not done before. And the only way you can do that is being face-to-face with him in his ways before his throne. So, I think the evangelist indicates there's something more That's something more will lead you into an understanding that God's doing a lot of things and you better be aware of them. You better seek and study. You better align yourself with how he's moving and in the center of it, face to face, where the imprint of his presence is forming you. We know in part, yeah, we need a prophetic assessment of that. But prophecy better be based upon what you know God has said. And you better be established there. If you're looking for possi- pro- prophecy for course, an, a new course, you're wrong. Prophecy will direct based upon what God has said, what God has done... And from that aspect, what's the next steps God's leading you to? Sometimes prophecy will shoot way ahead, like Isaiah did, and will speak of what, um, what is he, what's the apex for Isaiah. He's talking about Christ. Christ is the spirit of prophecy, dying to self. And even that, if prophecy is going to lead you based upon where you are into the next place, You've got to put away childish things. You've got to die for the prophecy to work. Does that make sense? So, you know, in part, for then shall I know even as I am known. I'm finally coming into the place where I am what God made me to be. To me, that's the pastor. That's the home base. That's the home base of who you are. Every one of you should be pastoring your own life under Christ. Are your gifts being in your life acknowledged and developed? Are you... spending time with God in diversities of tongues and interpretation. And are you willing to move when the Spirit says move and wait when the Spirit says wait? Be what God has created you to be. Whether anybody else recognizes and pats you on the back and tells you, oh, you poor, poor thing. Be what you're supposed to be. That gift will lead you before kings. The gift will not somebody recognizing your gift. So, but then it speaks about that that's a fivefold thing of how we develop apostolically. That's really what we as saints are. So in the end time, the saints and the prophets are the two main players battling against the demonic forces amongst humans. Saints are seeking after passionately what holiness is, what God has ordained. Prophets are making sense of that. They're part of that. And they are giving their words of affirmation and admonition and clarifying. But they work together. I see that saints and prophets function together some I, I i don't know what i am in the role god's called me to be teacher maybe definitely apostolic because we have a message that's for the world and it's a fresh message of meat pneumatikos understandings yeah Prophecy? Yeah, we can prophesy to people. Thank God for that understanding. Aren't you grateful for that? Covet to prophesy. You may all prophesy. Would to God all God's people would prophesy. How many words? And the heart of that is what's God doing? What's God said? What has God established? What is God's objective? If you don't start with that where you die to that forget about getting a word of direction the word of direction will be pointless without that base of foundational identity so it's it's knowing who God is, who you are, what he's called you to be, that is the greatest point for faith. So then the next, the very next verse says, Now abides, menno. Now you are standing in faith. How could anything be greater than faith at the right hand of God? Well, just stay there. Let's look. Hope. How can anything be better? And having God print. That right-hand direction inside you, the seed of faith deep within me, shut up in my bones. And agape, to know the passion of God, to know what God is wanting to do, and to align yourself with that. The greatest of these is agape the maison, the way that you're going to be led forward is based upon that passionate devotion to the ways of God, what you breathe hard after. And that will be the lifeblood of the body of hope and will be the place that that will then yield the place at the right hand where you can step into sonship to partner with Jesus in fulfilling that will of the Father. So the maison, the megas, of all of this is the fire of God, his passion, what he wants to do, the essence of who he is. And so then 14.1 says, follow after agape. Once you've got that burning in you, you just know you're going to go based on that. But the way you're going to operate in that paradigm is 1 Corinthians 13 12. We're being changed. We're meeting Him face to face. We're receiving lots of information in conjunction with the angelic and the scrolls being unwrapped in these days, what God's doing in the temple of the tabernacle, what's happening in our histeme, what's happening in various locations that God would lead us to, what's being revealed in the thesaurus in heaven. It just goes on and on. What God's sharing through his word which is ever speaking to us. Only God could allow us to absorb all of that and to keep moving forward. It's too hard. No, it's not. You, you've you got to keep praying, letting your spirit breathe, because that's how you'll understand these things and focus on them. These are all biblical principles we've studied. Ad infinitum, it's just all there. We spend time with God face to face, panim to panim, to where we, we, we have the privilege of communing with Him and knowing Him. Prophecy will always be with us, but those words are going to keep being released new as God reveals. And what last year's prophecy, just directive-wise, is done away as the new emerges. The base stays the same because it's God's base. And we fulfill what we are supposed to be as individuals. We will know as we're known. How should you be known? Based upon what you know, you become what you know and that's what people see um you 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 live what you preach you do and you teach if you're not doing those that you're teaching are going to see it and they won't pay attention to you why should they So, I love this verse because, again, one of the things about being a saint, Hagias, is that we share the name of what the angels continually say. Holy, holy, holy. We, we have a unique partnership with the angelic. And you know that. It's not some will-o'-the-wisp, oh, tell me how to meet an angel. You want to know how to partner with the angels? Spend time with God. Go after His Word and become someone in the church that is devoted to a saintly calling. You won't have to have some anointed person lead you into an angelic encounter. You'll have it. And then you'll be saying, what means this? As opposed to, hey, entertain me with stories. It's always amazed me. Um, Because one of the blessings of being a seer, and there's a lot of shortfalls to it too, is that you see a lot of things going on in the spirit realm. And sometimes people who don't think God's anywhere near them are surrounded by angels. Sometimes people who are always lamenting, I don't see anything, I don't see anything. Lay hands on me, give me that gift, tell me what this is, tell me what that is. In their intercession, they're surrounded. And you see it. So should I go and tell them? Why would I do that? because then they'll be back tomorrow. Do you see any angels around me? Angels don't want notoriety. They want to celebrate the Father. And they want to serve those that are heirs of salvation. Heirs representing the victory of God. So you you want to be working with angels... Devote yourself to this lifestyle, whether you see them or not. Blessed are those who have not seen, but yet are functioning in faith. Boy, I've gotten off into a lot of meddling here, haven't I? Oh, I like the old pastor that just teaches us sweet things and always tells us nice things about ourselves. Well we have a lot of work to do the angels the great cloud of witnesses the throne has invested a lot in us now we see through a glass what do you see when you look in that glass do you see the smudges on the glass or do you see hey you never notice how a kid, when they're emerging from youth into adolescence, will spend a lot of time in front of the mirror. Oh my goodness, I see, I saw my daughters, I see my granddaughters, one more than the other. I just looks at the mirror, just gets different angles, and and what? Why is she doing that? Because she's marveling at what she's becoming. She's trying to make sense of who she is. She's trying to figure out ways that she can enhance how she appears and to become the lady that she knows she is. When you look in the glass of the Lord, are you looking to how you're growing, how you can become more of His likeness, you can grow up and become not a child anymore, When you enter into that realm, you're going to realize that there's a whole lot more than what you knew. There's so much in the Word. There's so much in the heavens. There's so much happening throughout the realm, especially in our days. And you recognize that you have a burden to know the heart of God, to see Him face to face, to want His presence. From there, God will begin to reveal things. You got to go do this. This is coming. Remember when He taught you about this, this, and this. Well, this is what it means. Put it into motion. You do it. That's prophetic. But then, in a month, that prophet may be saying, okay, look what. The Spirit is saying now, we've got to get ready for this. Oh, I thought you said a month ago we should be doing this. Yeah, I did then, but that's done away now. we got to move now. And basically, let's all be what God created us to be. Let's just be it. Let's be it now abides our place at the right hand of the throne. Those places in the secret place of thunder where God is imparting to us seeds of faith that will grow in hope. But the essence of it all is the passion of our Father and His will. That's the greatest. That's how we will spread. Not through our knowledge, not through our burgeoning experiences as pneumatikos people but it will always be through the fire of his passion that we breathe hard after and we follow after it and follow after agape okay I have gone past time thanks everybody we're praying for you and uh, we look forward to what God is going to continue to do through this month of December So, until next time, may the blessing of the Lord be with you. And may you know him in his love. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.